Matthew 16, the story of Matthew 16. If you're studying the book of Matthew, uh, I just want to put a couple of reminders. Keep in prayer. If prayer was going on there, you would like to be involved with that. Karen Schumpert's about talking. You know who she is. We'll put you up there. But great ministry, great outreach. Keep in prayer. The praise uh, today. The idea of passing out the kingdom, the most important, passing out the New Testaments as well, too. Getting a chance to represent God's words. Keep that in prayer, some outreach opportunities, and uh, what matters most is just get the out there and represent Jesus Christ. So let's pray before we get started. Heavenly Father, good to be here this morning. Thankful for the time to learn and grow in you. We just pray, Lord, you would teach, we would listen, let your spirit guide and direct in all things, and help us keep our focus on you. Right, last week we kind of stopped right in the middle of Matthew 16, and we stopped at a very important question, verse 15, said to them, but who do you say that I am? When we talk about how that was the most important question that could ever be asked, who do you say that Jesus Christ is? Who is Jesus Christ to you? That's the most important question you can ask somebody. Because that question, the answer to that question, determines heaven, hell, and all of eternity. And we talk about how important that was. And Simon's answer in verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I cannot stress to you the importance of just knowing who Jesus is in your life and understanding what the relationship is. Christ says. Now we're going to build on that though, because now what happens here from verse 17 on, Peter's answer takes us down this road. It's a fascinating road that builds us up to this, verse 24. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The idea of denying themselves. So take what Peter just said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, that leads us denying himself. Very simply put, if he is God and he is Lord, what that means is I am not. So since he is more than God in my life and I need to live that way, that means I deny who I am and focus on him. So let's see what answers here. Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And also I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Peter's confession, blessed are you. It's Peter, you got it. You got it, Peter. Your statement is exactly what needed to be said. And Peter, that statement is so amazing, you couldn't have thought of that yourself. Peter has a tendency sometimes to speak without thinking. We're going to get into the transfiguration next week. And the account in Mark is this. As you know what happens at the transfiguration, Jesus is on the mountain, he's glorified, and Moses and Elijah are here beside him. Such a common mark that Peter, not knowing what to say, still spoke. <laughs> you ever known somebody like that, where they really don't know what to say, so instead of just being quiet, they still just kind of keep speaking? Peter says something mind-blowing right here, and Jesus says, Simon, that is so amazing, I know you couldn't have thought that yourself. That has to be through the Lord. The Lord revealed this to you. This confession of who I am. Now look at how mind-blowing this is in verse 16. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That statement sets so much in order here. But it's such a simple statement. Real quick point. If you're looking for an answer sometimes from the Lord, quit looking for signs and thunderings and lightnings. Sometimes the answer is just so simple, just let the Spirit speak. I'm assuming when Peter said this in verse 16, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, I don't believe the light is dimmed. I don't believe dramatic music happened in the background, and I don't believe there was thunder in the light. I think Peter just said. And sometimes that's just how the Lord speaks. Just normal, straightforward. It's like, wow, Lord, that's exactly what I needed to hear. 
I know some people have spent all their time and energy looking for the deep sign. And really the Lord says, the Holy Spirit is going to be back to you. So, you're a blessed sign. You reveal this. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, right here, we have to stop and go one of two directions. I'm not trying to debate. I'm not trying to cause an argument. I'm not trying to cause a disagreement. But we have to stop and decide which way we're going to go with this. Some people take these statements, and what they do is they have elevated Peter to a role that I don't think is necessarily in the Bible. And they take these verses and they set up the ordinance of the Pope in the Catholic Church and they go down that road from there. That Peter was the first one that it was upon this rock that the church was built upon the teachings of the Pope and who Peter was. And then verse 19, he has the keys to the kingdom of heaven, binding and loosing, etc. Now I think there's a few theological problems with that. First off, you're going to find out in just a couple verses, verse 22, Peter had to be rebuked by the Lord. Now you may say, well that was before the day of Pentecost. Well, but the Galatians, Peter had to be rebuked by Paul. So if you want to talk about infallacy, that does not work for this right here, right now. It doesn't. What we're really looking at is this. Let's just break this down and talk about this. And I say to you that you are Peter and all this rock. What is this rock? This rock is Christ. This rock is the confession that Jesus, excuse me, that Peter just said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What Peter is saying was amazing. And what Jesus says is, Peter, upon what you just said, that foundational truth, of that I am the Christ, the Messiah. That is what I'm going to build the church on. Your confession of who I am is the foundational truth of all Christianity, that I am the Christ and the Messiah. And Peter, you are Peter, which literally means a stone of pebble. And upon this rock, which is a different Greek word, which means boulder or large stone, Peter, you are one stone that's going to be built off this foundation of me. Now, this is something that's continued on. In Matthew, Jesus said, I'm the chief cornerstone. It's repeated in Acts. Peter himself, in 1 Peter 2, says Jesus is the chief cornerstone, and we're all just stones built off Christ. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3 that he says that Jesus is the only foundation that can be laid. The only foundation. So really what Jesus is saying is, Peter, you're one stone built off of the boulder, the rock of the confession that I am the Christ and the Messiah, and this solid foundation of me, of Jesus Christ, everything hell wants to throw against it won't even work. Because I am Christ, the foundation of stone. And when you realize that, it's like, Lord, it's all about you. It's not about a man. It's not about a ministry. It's not about a church. It's about Jesus Christ. And when you get that, all of a sudden it's like, Lord, as you see so often, people making it about a man, or they make it about a ministry, or they make it about a building. We're here to represent Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. That's all that matters. He's the rock, he's the foundation, and when you get that down, nothing can stand against it. Now look at verse 19. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, now Peter didn't get the chance to have the keys. In the book of Acts, he's the first one to get really a chance to preach the gospel to the Jews, and then he went on to be the first one to really preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So you can make the case that he unlocked that door, if you will. But in just the next two chapters, in Matthew 18, this same concept is repeated to us as disciples, that we all have the ability to bind and loose. What does that mean? That means God has given us that privilege, that responsibility to bind and loose things. Well, what does that look like? If you come to me, and you say, James, I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus Christ died and rose from my sins and is through his death and resurrection. I can be saved. I can then say, you are now set free. You are now loose from sin. 
have the power to say that. Now, I didn't do it. I didn't make it happen. But I have the responsibility and the power to be able to look at you and say, through Jesus Christ, you've been set free from sin. If somebody comes and says, I reject Christ as my Savior, I'm still in my sin, and I'm okay with that. I have the responsibility and the power to be able to look and say, you're still bound in sin. Now, I'm not binding you in sin, but I have the responsibility to say that. John says something in John chapter 20, where it says, if you say to anybody their sins are forgiven, they're forgiven. If you say to anybody their sins are retained, they're retained. He's not saying that the disciples have the power to forgive sin or to keep people being forgiven. He goes, no, you have the power to be able to tell people, listen, through Christ you can be set free. Your sins can be forgiven. So I'm giving you this authority to do that, to represent me, Jesus Christ, on this earth, that you can look at people in evangelism and say, I can have you be set free from sin. You want to know how? And that's what Jesus is trying to say. And this information is so utterly amazing. What does he do in verse 20? He commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. <clears throat> Jesus is the worst evangelist in the world. I mean, he really is. Jesus' purpose in ministry at this time is not to set up his kingdom. It's not to put the world in the right order. The purpose of this time is to die and cross for and he says, that's what you're here to do. And this is what goes into verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. He says, guys, listen, it's not about setting up the kingdom now. It's not about making all wrongs right. That will happen in eternity. Right now, it's about taking care of the sins. See, this is something I run into a lot when I'm sharing Christ with people, is they get stuck on making all the wrongs right. You know what, if God is so great, amazing, and powerful, why does he do this? Why does he do this? Listen, in time, the wrongs will be made right. In time, all that will happen. But right here, right now, we need to answer this question. What are you going to do with the problem of sin in your life? This is what Jesus is saying. It's right here, right now, the focus is the cross. Now, Peter, who had such a great epiphany in verse 16, he follows it up in verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this should not happen to you. Now, guys, I want this verse to sink into your lives. Peter pulls Jesus aside and rebukes Jesus. Just think that through for a second. Peter, the creation, is rebuking the creator. Peter, the pile of dirt that was given life and breath, is rebuking the one that created it. See, this is what happens. I can have a verse 16 moment where I saw him really and then just six verses later, verse 22, I'm kind of screwed up. I can relate to Peter a lot. Peter can say something amazing, and then just a few verses later, take it and run with it. Why did Peter say that? I don't know. There's a lot of what you guess and can speculate. No, the disciples argue all the time who's the greatest. The Bible makes that clear. Can you imagine being in Peter's shoes? Here are the disciples, and you make this great statement, you're the Christ, the living God, and Jesus looks right at you in front of everybody. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. And you know what? You are Peter. And I'm going to use you to build the kingdom. I'm going to use you to spread the gospel. Can't you see Peter's chest is getting a little more puffed up? You ever known that person? You give them just a tiny little bit of power and authority, and they run with it. They just run with it. Tyrus, our youngest, four years old, and the pecking order is at the bottom. He's got nothing, right? Nothing. Just last week, we were out here at the back of the school bag, and Tyrus was playing with uh, Esri, Esri Envelope. They're like best friends. 
Esther's just a few months younger than Tyrus. Tyrus comes up to me at the back of school bash and says, Dad, can I go in charge of Esther? <laughs> so I look at Shannon. Shannon, do you care if Tyrus is in charge of Esther? Shannon says, I don't care. Yes, I'm in charge of Esther. And Tyrus finally had somebody that he can be in charge of. Peter, blessed are you. Flesh and blood did not reveal the God. That's right. So now Jesus is talking about the cross. And Peter's like, I don't really like this idea that you dying and being killed. And no, this, this isn't a good idea, Lord. Can't you just see it? Peter's like, Jesus, Peter. I got hand signals with my kids. If my kids get out of hand, this, and settle down. I need to talk to you with two things. Can't you see Peter look at Jesus? <laughs> so Peter comes over to Jesus. Can't you see Peter put the arm around the shoulder? It's like, Jesus, I need to talk to you. This, this, this isn't going to work out. Why? Because Peter was looking at it through his eyes. Now, this is, guys, this is where the teaching changes. And this is from this point forward in teaching, it gets really hard. Verse 23. He turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Peter, you are an offense to me. Some of your translations, you are a hindrance to me. You are a stumbling block to me. It doesn't mean Peter was full of Satan. It doesn't mean he was possessed by Satan. It means Peter was being used by the enemy to hinder ministry. And Jesus wanted nothing to do with it. Peter, what's the problem? You are not mindful of the things of God or the things of men. Peter, you're looking at this through your own eyes. You don't want me to die. You don't want me to go to the cross. That's your fault. No, we need to look at this through the eyes of God. Look at your lives. Most of the things that get you guys worked up and bothered is what? When you're looking at things through your eyes and not through the eyes of eternity. Because when you're looking at it through your eyes... You're going to get your feathers ruffled, your expectations aren't going to get met, and you're going to be bothered, and you're going to be bitter and upset. God is saying, you know, you've got to look at it through my eyes, Peter. This is what is best for eternity, and you're getting in the way of God's perfect plan, Peter. Well, I never want to be a hindrance or a stumbling block or a fence to the Lord. So we have to stop at this moment in verse 23 and say, Lord, are we looking at it through the eyes of you? Or through my eyes. Which takes us right into verse 24. Then Jesus says to the disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow him. See, so often we just start with that verse. What's it mean to deny ourselves? Deny ourselves means go back to verse 23. Quit looking at it through your eyes and look at it through the eyes of God. And if you really want to follow Jesus, Peter, you got to quit thinking about you. You have to cease to exist. I was just talking to Rich before the first service. We were talking about this. You know what the biggest threat to my Christian walk is? Me. The biggest threat to my marriage? Me. The biggest threat to this church is me. That is why Jesus says in verse 24, Deny yourself. Cease to exist. Paul says, Die to yourself. Jesus says in verse 25, Lose your life. Until that happens... He'll be constantly battling you on what you want to do. Now, when it says deny yourself, it doesn't mean deny yourself that TV show or deny yourself that food that's not really a good thing or deny yourself that. It means deny you. Deny me. I am the problem. I need to cease to exist. I need to die. I need to crucify myself. And I need to become all Christ and not me. Because when I start to deny myself, I start looking at things through the lens of eternity. When I look at it through the lens of eternity, 
For now we're mindful of the things of God, verse 23, and not the things of man. And I need to take up my cross. What does that mean? A cross is not a specific thing you deal with. So we've taken this verse and taken it out of context. Well, that's my cross to bear. No, according to the context of this, take up your cross is like what Jesus did. Jesus denied himself and said, I will put the will of the Father before the will of me and do whatever God's asked me to do. And so therefore, the cross is where I say, Lord, I'm going to die today. Paul makes it even more blunt in Galatians. I'm crucifying myself daily. And when that happens, I'll tell you, life gets a better purpose. It's not easy. Because what am I denying? The things I want to do. The things that please me. Some of you at this moment may be saying that's the problem of Christianity. God takes away all the fun stuff. What I've noticed is this. Whatever the Lord tells me to deny or die to, in times when it calls me on. He will never deny or ask me to die to something that will be for my spiritual good or will help me later on in life. If he's telling me to deny it, it's going to cause me harm down the road. He says, I know this, trust me, let it go. So anything I deny is actually for my good. Now, it's difficult to do because there's things that we like to do. There's things that we want to do. And Jesus is saying, you've got to get rid of that thought process of you and start thinking about me. What do we say out all the time? It's not about us, it's about Jesus. It's not about these four walls. It's about representing Christ. And Lord, if I really want to be used by you, I'm going to deny myself. Do you want your life to have a bigger purpose? Then start denying yourself. When you start realizing it's not about my time, it's not about free time, it's not about what I want, all of a sudden it's like, well, Lord, it's all yours then anyway. You want your witnessing to be different? Then deny yourself. You say, Lord, I just want to represent you when I go out. You want your marriage to be different? Deny yourself. You want your life to be different? Deny yourself. Die to yourself. So often the problems we have in life is what are we doing? We're doing verse 25. I'm desiring to save my life, and I end up losing my life. But whoever loses his life, my sake will find it. When I let go of my life, I actually find life. When I actually let go of me, I find a purpose in what I'm doing. And I just want to tell you, it works. There's been things in my life that I've let go of that you never thought, I, I could never let this go. And now you look back and say, wow, Lord, there's a freedom of being set free from that expectation or that desire. Now, Lord, I can just really live for you. And now there's a purpose to what I'm doing. It's like, wow, Lord, this feels free. Because I'm slowly dying. Now there's still a lot left. Oh my goodness, there's a lot left. It's hard to look at the whole scheme of eternity every moment of the day because we allow the little things to get the best of us. But we need to learn to look past those things and look at the whole scheme of eternity. When you do that and deny yourself and die to yourself, all of a sudden, everything I do is ministry. It's all about Christ. But we have to be reminded of that. Last night, the kids all got to bed. And it was late, and I decided I was just going to check the score of the Braves game. You know, I'm a big Braves fan. So I turned on the game, and it was the top of the ninth. No else. Two guys on, first and third. They're down seven to four. I'm going to give you all the details. Bear with me. <laughs> seven to four, top of the ninth, no outs, two guys on. Okay, they got a chance. Guys up, gets a double. Two runs in, seven to six, no outs. Now he gets a double. He decides to stretch it into a triple. So he's going for third. Guess what happens? He gets thrown out. You never make the first out like that at third. That's, no, you stay at second. There's a runner in scoring position. So as he's going to third and he's thrown out two runs in, there's nobody on now. I say, come on! 
Dawn's in the bathroom. She's in the shower. She yells out, Eternity! <laughs> Keep in mind I'm dead. Now that's just a tiny little thing. But you know what you're dealing with? You're dealing with work situations, you're dealing with marriage situations, kids situations, health situations, life situations. They all grow strangely dim. And a whole light of eternity. Deny yourself. Die to yourself. Be mindful of things of God. It is difficult to do. And I'm not going to sit up here and say it's easy. It's not. But I'm telling you, once you learn to die to that area and deny it, it's like, okay, Lord, I, I'm free from that. I'm free. I can move past that. Okay, now, Lord, I, I'm struggling with this. Will you, will you help me, Lord? I want to die to this. I want to be a different man. I want to deny that part of the flesh and passion. And I just want it to be about you. That's why I want to finish with communities. It's to build this point of realizing, look at what Christ did on the cross. To set us free from sin. I keep going back to Romans 6. I probably mentioned to you guys Romans 6 many times. The whole point of Romans 6 is Paul says, is, listen, you guys are dead. And Paul says, once you realize you're dead, now you can be free from sin. But we have to realize what Christ did on the cross. That verse 25, I can lose my life and actually save it find it. Because what is about verse 26? What profits to a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? Or what will a man gain in exchange for his soul? So fine, you get everything the world has to offer you. What good does it do in the whole scheme of eternity? This is where you may be saying, well, at least in verse 26, I don't have to worry about that because I sure don't have everything the world has to offer I've noticed in verse 26, everybody has a different standard of gaining the whole world. We're not talking about having every toy the world has to offer. That may be a struggle for some. For some people, you know what, it may not be a whole lot, but it's still a temptation and a problem for them. You know, I know the people are well there and they work 12 hours a day, seven days a week, so they got quite the overtime check. And some of those people go use that money and they buy a whole lot of toys. Those toys are never needed, etc. I know people that they only work 10 hours a week, and they're still focusing on the world and trying to gain everything. It's not how many hours you work, it's not how many, much money you bring home. It's not even how much stuff you own. It's your heart. It's your mindset. Now, does this mean, verse 26, that you can't enjoy a time with your family? You can't go camping again? No, we're not saying any of that. What it's saying, though, in the context is this. What are you mindful of? See, go back to verse 23. You're not mindful of the things of God or the things of men. What are you mindful of? So you may be out there enjoying that time with your family, but you're still being mindful of things of the Lord. You're just saying, I want to use this as an opportunity. We go back to the creek a lot behind our houses, and we're walking the creek, and we find the bullfrogs, the crawdads, the fish, all sorts of that stuff. I do this thing every time. We'll catch an animal. Hey, guys, what, what day we got here? Just little mindful things of the Lord. What's going on here? And enjoying family, but also the Lord at the same time. Because why, verse 27, for the Son of Man will come to the glory of his Father with his angels, and he will reward each according to his works. There's our word, verse 27. You're mindful of the things of the Lord. You're denying yourself. You're dying to the Lord. You realize, I'm here to work for God. Now, if you haven't been with us the last few Wednesdays, I encourage you to get online and listen to them or grab a copy of the CD. We've done it for three Wednesdays in a row. We're talking about what biblical works look like. And I always stress this, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. So it's this idea that it's not works that save you. I want to stress that. 
You can't earn your salvation by works. You can't keep yourself saved by works. You don't do works to pat yourself on the back and say, look at me, you don't. But Ephesians 2.10 says that we are created, or God's workmanship created for good works. He basically says, now that you're saved, I want to use you. Now that the internal you is set in the right order, I want the external works. And so God is saying in verse 27, he wants us to go out there and do something. But the only way that works is if you go back to verse 23, because I need to be mindful of the things of God. Verse 24, I need to deny myself and take up the cross. Verse 25, I need to lose my life. Verse 26, I don't want to follow the world anymore. Finally, now, verse 27, Lord, I want to do the works of Now, you can't make anybody want this. Because it all goes back to verse 23, what are you mindful of? You know, when we did the evangelism training class out here in February, they had this great analogy of who's on the throne of your life, who's directing your life. Do you have the Lord on the throne of your life, or do you control it? That's the first step you got to do. For some of you, you've been letting you control your life for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. So sure, you know Christ. Sure, there's moments of peace and joy. But I tell you this in all the love I can muster. Guys, there's a whole other level of just saying, Lord, I want it to all be you. I want it to all be you. And I, and I don't want to be mindful of the things of man. <laughs> and Lord, I, I want to deny myself because I know that's going to change my outlook on life. That's going to change everything. I'm going to take up the cross. I'm going to lose my life. And Lord, I'm going to go out there and serve you. And all of a sudden, life has this deeper purpose, this deeper meaning. It's not easy. But what a blessing it is. And that's what we want to focus on. That's what we want to end with here right now. It's to stop and say, okay, how are we doing that? You know, when we get ready here for communion, what about when we get ready for communion, one of the verses we always read is this. Paul writes, if whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Examine himself. Psalm 139 says, Search me and try me, O Lord. Know if there's any iniquity in me and then lead me in the way of everlasting. This is a time for us to stop, confess, and say, Okay, Lord, let's just be honest. Am I mindful of the things of God or am I really mindful of me? Lord, am I denying myself? Or am I really just spending my life to fulfill myself? Lord, am I trying to save my life or lose my life? See, this teaching this morning goes against everything the world would ever try to tell you. But that's the whole point. We're not citizens of this world. We're just ambassadors representing Jesus Christ that we sent to this planet for a while to represent him. And that's all we're supposed to do. And when this happens, when this changes, when this mindset happens, I feel like I get it. I get it. There's another level out there. Lord, I want that. I desire that. But Lord, I've got to die here yet, right here, right now. And that's what we're going to pray for. As the kids are getting ready to come in here in communion, we're just going to lead you in communion in just a couple seconds. Just want to let you know, parents, we bring the kids in the door class as we leave it up to you. If your child is older to understand and grasp what communion is, we have an open communion policy out here.